Welcome to the Sports Entrepreneurs Podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Lure, and I'm excited to welcome Mr. Ricardo Ford calling in from Atlanta, Georgia, in the United States. Uh, good evening there, Ricardo. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Marcus. How are you? Thank you for having me. Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to this one here. You know, I've, I've always had plenty of folks from our, from the sports industry, which are on the agency side or, you know, in the federations. Uh, I haven't had as many really truly like yourself who's worked uh, more on the brand side, right? The, the gentlemen who are helping to fund the world of sports and, of course, on the back of it, driving the brands around, driving, you know, the specific brand uh, perspective. So really looking forward to digging deep into that. You have about as an illustrious career as anyone would like to have and I'm sure plenty of fun with it doing it so but if you know for some of the folks who might not know you as well let me just sort of do just a quick intro so uh, Ricardo is originally from Brazil started your career there I would say you would you know you've been with all the major FMCG brands you can think of from Unilever Kellogg's of course Coca-Cola which most people know you from and a short sting there was Danone and then you add a little bit of Visa the credit card boys in there and and you got an amazing uh, mix of brands and in most cases you've been all very heavily involved in in their sporting activities you know in various roles there so that's what we're going to be talking about here you know 26 years of a career in this and of course we will then talk about your new role and i say you're you're starting to as an entrepreneur so to speak with sport by fort so since it is the sports entrepreneurs podcast that's uh, going to be a great way to uh, finish off at the very end here so but as we always do we, we kind of really want to we start a little bit at the beginning there um, as a young man coming out of uh, university in Brazil interesting enough I think you were a civil engineer how did you land up with uh, Unilever there talk us through that uh, the first part of your career it was a combination of luck and uh, uh, chance in general I mean Unilever had a, this big uh, trainee program in Brazil it was very popular very hard every year they get you know, 5,000 people applying for you know, 20 spots. Wow. And, and for some reason, they thought I, I should be one of them. And I joined Unilever uh, right out of college and uh, initially to work on their logistics department. And right. uh, very quickly, I realized that I was in the wrong place. Uh, I was very jealous of the work that my marketing colleagues were doing. And I, I immediately, after I started working, I started to ask people what I do I needed to do to to move to marketing, and that was the beginning of my marketing career. Right. Okay. So, uh, but it, at university you didn't study marketing, right? From a civil engineering degree, it doesn't sound like there's any marketing oh, no. there at all. No, not at all. Not at all. Right. I I went to the uh, Escola Politecnica in Sao Paulo, which is a, you know, a famous public school um, in in Brazil to mm. study civil engineer. I thought I was going to be an engineer, but I realized you know right half through the my five years of study that um, that wasn't for me. I I had a lot of interest for other things that were not construction. I worked in construction for a few years as a as an intern in a couple of different uh, projects. But I, I realized that that wasn't something that I wanted to spend the rest of my life doing. So right, you know, middle of my college time, I I worked for another you know, other kinds of jobs. So I worked for Axon in their aviation department. I worked for at that time 
Anderson Consulting uh, that later was rebranded to Accenture uh, as a consultant or as an internship as a consultant. And when I finished uh, college, I had two, two options. I was going to be hired by Anderson Consulting to become a consultant. Mm. And the other alternative was if I was accepted to work for Unilever, which which happened, fortunately it happened. And that was an opportunity that I couldn't say no. Yeah, well, that got you into the world of marketing. I love it. And, and it's funny because, uh, yeah, we all a lot of times don't end up necessarily with a job we thought. Uh, so I studied marketing, right? I did an MBA in marketing in the U.S., uh, and I thought I would have your job. <laughs> so I actually, you know, if public people ask me, I would have said, yeah, I think I'm going to be a marketing manager for Coca-Cola. <laughs> and that, I never got there. Um, but I spent, you know, the similar uh, almost three decades now in the world of sports, just on a different side of the, the equation there. So uh, yeah, fun, fun stories there. Now, you know, again, as I said earlier, you, you, you are really been deep into the FMCG world. Uh, was that something you just, you know, it, it just ended up being that way or you had a fondness for that type of product, which is fast moving and, and of course, you know, very, uh, you know, driven by consumer behavior and stuff. I mean, you know, what, what's your thought on that? Well, uh, 20 something years ago, uh, that was the image that most, you know, recent graduates had about marketing. Of course, the startup world didn't exist. Yep. Uh, digital was a decade uh, to become a reality. And when you thought about marketing, you thought about concrete stuff that you buy in supermarkets every day. Mm. And uh, that, you know, these are companies that invest the most. So it was a natural place to go. I and mean, if you want to learn something about marketing, you go to work for companies that have a lot of money to invest and to, to teach you. So at that time, Unilever was one of the biggest ones. Uh, Colgate was another big one. Yep. P&G wasn't in Brazil at that time, so that wasn't an option. So there were you know, a few a few options, and you know, and you have to put in context uh, Brazil in the in the 90s. Uh, it was a big market, but it, it wasn't what it is uh, today. I mean, today you have a lot more options for for people um, uh, graduating. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, and as I, I've been to Brazil a few times, I was there for the for the World Cup as well. I've got some good friends there, and um, recently I had a fellow Brazilian on the call as well, uh, talking about the world of football there. And so it's it's in a fascinating market for sure. So you're coming from a, a very interesting place, but you know, so you know, you obviously, so we did Unilever, Kellogg's. Um, let, let's jump a little bit ahead here and into your early days in in, in the with the Coca-Cola brand. You didn't start with Coke, right? You started off with Sprite. Um, um, I believe as a sort of senior brand uh, manager, and this was in Brazil still at that time. Um, yeah, let, let, you know, this is so now we're in the early 2000 here um, or late 1990, uh, 1990. Um, again, you know, share a little bit what is happening there at the in Brazil. Uh, it sounds like you had, you know, you were doing a turnaround on Sprite. Uh, maybe the brand was doing wasn't doing as well. Um, you know, bring us back to those moments. Yeah, so uh, I, you know, if if you if you grow up in Latin America, uh, uh, Coca Cola is is your reference brand for anything that that marketing represents. And I, I have always uh, had a dream of working for Coca Cola. When I was, I think, twelve or thirteen, uh, the FIFA World Cup in Spain, when Brazil was supposed to win, mm. um, Coke has this very iconic advertising was a, as an adaptation from a famous American ad called Mean Joe Green, where this, you know, uh, important famous player gets 
walking out of the field through the tunnel, he's injured and the kid comes to him and tells him you're the greatest, offers him a Coca-Cola. The guy drinks and gives the shirt, the sweat shirt back to the kid. Mm. Uh, and, you know, and in Brazil, that was Zico. Right, okay. uh, was was the number ten of Brazil in nineteen eighty two. In Argentina was Maradona, so it, it was it was replicated a few yeah, times. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and and since that time, I I thought, and that it, it must be so cool to work for Coca Cola because they do this kind of things. Yes. And I tried to join Coke uh, uh, twice before I was I was hired. Mm. I interviewed twice for two different jobs. Didn't work, you know. Uh, first time didn't work. The second time, the third time. It did. They hired me. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a month, I got. I, I was. I was about to get married, so I got married. I moved from Sao Paulo to Rio, and I joined Coke in a in a in a span of know, two three months. Right. And I, I had, you know, I had my first two years working for for Sprite. It was a it was a relative small brand in the portfolio in Brazil. Um, apparently, I did a good job. We the the brand started to grow and things went well. And I was at some point. Two years later, I was promoted to manage Coke, which is, you know, uh, just to give a perspective to to your listeners, uh, the Coca-Cola brand in Brazil is bigger than uh, most of the other companies in Brazil, not brands, companies. Wow. It, it is a very, very large business. Uh, Brazil has always been the third largest market for Coca-Cola. Mm. Um, today is a fourth or fifth, I believe. There was a, a third largest market, so it was a it was a it was a, a big uh, responsibility. Which is the dream for any marketer? Absolutely. And, so, uh, just, just uh, you know, the, so the biggest would be the U.S. I'm assuming. What is the second biggest at that time already? China. So already, uh, U.S. You know, U.S. has always been the largest. Uh, right. Mexico uh, was oh, the right. second. Okay. Uh, Brazil was the third, and China was third. Eventually, a uh, few years later, uh, China um, overtook Brazil. So China is the third largest market no. today. Right. Okay. So at that time it was fourth. Right. Okay. Got it. That makes sense. Wow. I didn't realize Mexico is is that big too. Amazing. Now, again, I think, and then when we talk about this, that, that role now, you which we which you just were referring for that thing, that's the first time you also looks like starting to get into the sponsorship space. Uh, is that about correct? So you know, I can see here you you were starting to work with the National Football League. Um, you know, you did some things like Rock and Rio. Um, you know, let's just talk about the early days of sports there for you um, and, and what you were doing. Yeah, so if you, if you work for Coca Cola, you you would you bet you'd be involved with sports and entertainment, uh, regardless of the brand, because uh, th- there is so much activity and you know so many things happening every day in every country that chances are you're going to be involved with you know one and or the other. Yeah. And uh, Sprite had a long at that time had a long partnership with the NBA. There were you know there was some right. yeah, uh, work with the NBA, but really when you when you move to work with the the Coca-Cola brand, then you you are exposed to everything else because you know everything on football and music and you know, it, it, and later on esports and gaming it happens through mm-hmm. primarily through through Coca-Cola. So uh, that that's the that's when you you, you you really start getting involved and, and most of your work is figuring out how to tap into culture and culture is is heavily influenced by sports and entertainment to to make the brand uh, relevant 
and 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 Coke, you know, is a is an, an icon of you know relevance, and it it helps tell stories that influence society in in Latin America at least. So it, it is it, it is very visible. So everything that a brand like Coca Cola does, and and that's not the case for every country, but certainly in Latin America it is. So if you're managing Coca Cola in Argentina or Brazil or Mexico, everything you do, you know, becomes uh, news. And it's and it's discussed right. in nighttime shows and it's debated by consumers and um, so it's great because you have the opportunity to touch a lot of people with everything you do and if you do it right it has a great impact in the business and and in, in the consumers. Yeah, no, absolutely. So uh, I think that this also was sort of where we, you were involved in the 2006 World Cup, which obviously was in my home country in, in Germany. Oh, yes. Um, yes. You know, both of, our, both of our teams didn't do that well there, unfortunately. But, uh, you know, that's, those things happen. <laughs> um, <laughs> now, again, you know, being involved in the World Cup, this is how I, my career started. In 1994, I was involved in the FIFA World Cup in the U.S., again, just coming out of university there and, and just being part of it. Again, I was working for ISL uh, on the ground, so different role there. But uh, it's just the world, in my mind, the most amazing event on the planet. So what was it exactly what we were doing with, with the World Cup? Um, you know, where you were just, you know, it says that managing the, the campaign in Brazil, uh, regard, you know, linked to the World Cup in Germany or, you know, you know tell us a bit about it. Yeah, so uh, in 2002, um, because of one of the projects that I led in Brazil, uh, the domestic activation of the FIFA World Cup mm -hmm. in Korea, Japan, yeah. um, I was invited to come to Atlanta to, to lead global entertainment. Right. And um, soon after I landed in Atlanta, they realized that, you know, being Brazilian, I should know something about uh, football, football. <laughs> and they moved me from entertainment to football. Yeah. And between 2003 and 2006, I was um, responsible for developing the marketing, the global marketing activation of the FIFA World Cup for Coca-Cola. Oh, right. Okay. And, and what, what that means is um, you go from, you know, consumer research to uh, briefing agencies to develop the campaign, to develop um, the consumer, the customer, the employee communication, uh, everything that happens uh, on site in the preparation for the for the FIFA World Cup. You know, Coke, Coke has traditionally has had a team in the host country, so there was a, a very good team in Germany mm. from Coca Cola Germany, and uh, we were we were working with them to develop all the all the programs, the design that went into the packaging, you know, uh, around the world and so on and so forth. So during that time, during this um, three four years, I was dedicated to to thinking about marketing for football. So I this that was my first experience full time with sports. I, I worked with. Uh, a lot with FIFA. I worked a lot with UEFA at that time. A lot of national teams and clubs and, and players. Mm. And um, the the project ended after the FIFA World Cup, of course. The, the project ended, you know. And as with everybody else at Coke, I was I was expected to move to my next job. But you know, the the, the FIFA World Cup in Germany was a big success for for Coca Cola. It was a big success. Period. For Coca Cola was a was a big success too, I and mean, the, the impact on the business was great. We had over 150 countries promoting the event, which was uh, was responsible for for a good chunk of the uh, in, increasing sales during that period of, of time. 
and it was it was it was a great project. It was and it was a lot of fun. You now mm-hmm. being a football fan, just being involved with that, it was uh, it was a phenomenal experience. Yeah. No, it, it, well, it was a good World Cup, it, 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 despite maybe the results we had. I was actually in the semi-final where we lost to Italy. I was in the stadium, so I do have vivid memories of it. Um, now, let, let's talk marketing a little bit here. Uh, you know, I've worked, we've done business with Coke over the years uh, in different parts of the world. Uh, and one thing I've always seen is that, of course, there is, you know, there is that global, um, I guess, picture and footprint which you have but then you also go quite local you know in the activation so how do you manage that across 150 countries i mean you know you just on 150 different phone calls every day and and or or how how you how you visualize that a bit you know talk people through that you know as your role from the headquarters side yeah so different different companies they are organized differently and you know even even coca-cola was uh, the organization has changed so much over the years Hmm. but I think one of the greatest strength of, of, of Coca-Cola is the quality of the people that they have in every country. So you do have a lot of you know, competent and, and, and have sizable teams in most countries, which is something that the majority of the other companies and sponsors, they don't have. Mm. So others rely a lot in central communication, central development, um, while Coke has always being more of the uh, uh, opinion of the the understanding the local consumers is what makes a difference. And yes, we develop global frameworks and global campaigns. And I still say we, but <laughs> they develop <laughs> yeah, that's is the habit. So they, they develop uh, you know, global frameworks, global campaigns, but always with the perspective of how can we make something that can be adapted and even if it's the last you know, 10, 15% of the campaign, how do you do something that leverage the scale, but at the same time allows that final touch that makes it feel local? And that makes a big difference in terms of, of relevance. Yeah. Uh, and, and the success of, of the campaigns you know, rely heavily on, on this balance of being global, leverage the scale, but feeling yeah. like it Being was developed truly locally. locally relevant absolutely and, and if i also again what i've heard at least uh maybe you can uh, you know confirm this is that in terms of the marketing the spend let's say whatever money is being paid to fifa in this example here now um it is sort of shared to cross marketing budgets around the world right it's not just uh, headquarter writes a big check and then uh, everyone else just uses that uses their money for activation is that sort of correct there's a sort of global well, I, I, or? I cannot i cannot speak on the details of how they you know how they manage the the, the okay. budgets but uh, one of the things that i can that i can say is because the local teams understand the market like nobody else hmm. they make a lot of the decisions on how to tell the stories about each right. of the campaigns okay so you know in every country there's someone a marketing manager deciding how to tell that story that might have been crafted globally yeah makes sense makes sense now then interesting enough obviously out of out of coming out of the the successful world cup campaign here you ended up in india from the looks of it here right uh for a couple of years um as uh, uh marketing vice president for the indian and southwestern asia so the, that's called the indian subcontinent region really to some degree right uh, now that must have been an interesting uh, move where were you based out of at that time well, I, I had I had a, a, a stint in Brazil before going to India. So when, when okay. the FIFA World Cup ended in 2006, I, I I made one of the biggest mistakes of my my career because I thought that the, a career in sports 
was not something that would be very um, fruitful. Okay. And I thought that in order to grow in any company, I had to be a, a marketer and I wanted to be a CMO in, no, in, in some company, at Coke preferably, but in some other company. Mm. Uh, so I, I left the work on sports and I moved back to Brazil and I managed the soft drinks portfolio there for three years. Uh, at, in 2009, I was promoted to go to, to India to manage the marketing department and it was at the time I was based in New Delhi and yeah. Coca-Cola India uh, was responsible for uh, managing India and, and another six, seven countries around uh, India. Mm. And I moved, I moved with my family in 2009 and we spent two years working there, um, living in New Delhi, a great experience. Coca-Cola India is, a, is, a, is an incredible operation. It's very complex, very different. I mean, India, India Brazil, they have a lot in common. Mm-hmm. Um, and but they are very different in in, in, in different ways. So Brazil and India are a big mess, <laughs> but they are but they are different in the way they are messy. Okay. So uh, it, it was it was a time that I, I had a chance to learn a lot working with the local team and uh, and experience different challenges in marketing that I would never have uh, been exposed to if I if I w- were somewhere else. Uh, so it was it was it was great great time two years in India, uh, and then in 2011, I I was tired. I I thought I you know it was a good time to do something else. I had been working I had been working for Coca Cola for uh, almost 12 years, right. and I wanted to do something different. So yeah, we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. But I just wanted to stay for a second in India here, or, or the, the the region you were handling. First of all, I think you were not in in it was a Coca Cola brand. There it was other brands, uh, juices and waters and energy drinks. And it was everything, like. yeah. yeah, yeah, everything else but Coke, maybe. Uh, now again, you know, when you when you talk about India being obviously such a different market. Also, from a sporting point of view, right? It's all about cricket there, uh, and not not a you know not football necessarily. Um, and coming in there as someone who you know was with, involved at the World Cup level, and coming from Brazil, which you know, football is in, in your blood, uh, how do you adapt to that? I mean, I, you know, how do you make that work for yourself well, and, and for the company? Uh, well, it's well, I I was in charge of of the portfolio, and you know, and every brand had something different. The the relationship that Indians have with cricket. Is, is very similar to the relationship that Brazilians have with football. Yeah, uh, religion, India and true. Brazil, yeah, it, it has meanings that go beyond the action on the field. Yes. It, you know, it, 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 it's uh, very important for you know, identity. People, uh, you know, part of their or who they are is associated yeah. with the, the, the sport. Yes. When the team is successful, they are successful or we are successful. Yes. So it, it, it's very, it's very similar. Mm. Um, so okay. translating, translating uh, Brazilian Brazil football to India cricket was relatively uh, uh, simple and, and natural. Of course, cricket is a very different sport. The structure of the sport is different, but, but the passion and the, 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 the relationship of consumers uh, with the sport is, is similar. But, but I think that it's important to say that, my job was to sell beverages and sports, whatever sports was just a way to do this. And that was constant. That was the same job that I had in the last, in the previous 12 years. And, right. and so that made the transition uh, relatively uh, easier. Right. 
Yeah, so, uh, I, and I like the parallel. It, it makes complete sense. Now, again, maybe uh, do you have any particular campaign in, uh, you remember from that period of time there in India, which really stands out where you go and, you know, you, you drove this or uh, were you proud of? Uh, Isaac, do you have any interesting example there? Oh, I mean, there are, there are a lot of things that we did. I mean, one of the one of the reasons why they brought me to India was because the Coca-Cola brand was underdeveloped in India and they wanted someone who had experience with the Coca-Cola brand. So Latin America is a natural place, natural source of, of talent. So one of my, my main jobs in India was to to help uh, rethink Coca-Cola. And we did a lot of a lot of work to reconnect uh, Coca-Cola with young consumers, a lot of work on this distribution of the product, communication, and the brand uh, since you now back in 2010, uh, it started to grow and it has been in a growth trajectory uh, ever since. So, you know, having this, uh, I was part of the beginning of this process. A lot of good people came after me, uh, but the, 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 the project was right and continued to be in the market. Today, one of, one of my, my very good friends is, is, has my job in India. Uh, is someone that worked with me when I was in India. Uh, I expatriated him to Atlanta and then he went back to India now to, to take the job that I had once. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he continues to do what we started, you know, 10 years ago. So that that's very rewarding. Yeah, I like that. Nice. Uh, so now let's come to, to you. You had this sort of, uh, you need a little break from your Coca-Cola buddies here and you ended up in Danone, which again, another huge brand, of course, um, as global marketing director, uh, you know, it really was just a reasonably short uh, sting there. Where, where were you based at that time? What was uh, which part of the so, world was that? Yeah, so I, I was I was I was in Paris, and, in Paris, and okay. when, at the end at the end of two thousand and eleven, I had two job offers. I had one job offer to go to Visa in San Francisco, mm-hmm. and I had one job offer to go to Paris with Danone. And at that time, the non offer was it was you know was great. I, I Brazil is a great market for the non. I grew up with their products. I like the company. I like the culture of the company. A lot of good people, friends that work there. So when I had the opportunity, I thought it was was a, a great place to be, mm-hmm. and I was excited to move. I was one of their three global marketing directors. Mm-hmm. Um, I moved my family uh, from from New Delhi to Paris. Uh, actually, if you ask my wife, she would say it was not a great move because I left then back in India for four months. Oh, uh, until the end of the school year, then they moved to to meet me uh, right before summer, and uh, we were we were there for just a year. Mm. And um, looking looking back, I I think it was a it was a, a, a not a mistake, but it was just a miscalculation. I thought the job was going to be very different. Mm. I wasn't under the impression the job was going to be very different. And no, during the time I was there, Danone has always been a great company. Uh, but a lot of the work gets done in every country, not centrally. Mm. And my job was to develop central work. So there was a mismatch between what I was expecting to do and what I was uh, asked to do when I got into the job. Right. So I quickly realized it wasn't going to work. Right. Uh, and then um, uh, not, you know, a few months later, I was, I was, uh, I've been in a job for, I don't know, six months. Uh, Visa came and started talking to me again. They changed the job that they offered me before. They added new things, and they made the job a lot more interesting than it was a year before. Right. Uh, and then at the end of the year, everything was more or less uh, decided that we were going to. I was going to take this job, and uh, on the day that I 
that I completed my first year with Danone, I left the company. Right, right. Yeah, yeah I saw that here. And, and again, you know, if I look again at, at Visa here, obviously, uh, you know, you're straight back into the world of sports, right? You know, Visa is mm -hmm. a huge player in, in sports, marketing around the world, uh, similar to Coke, almost, uh, you, know, you know, very plenty of parallels. So, so that would, and I'm assuming this is sort of where you're bringing now your experience, what you've done with, with Coca-Cola there into, into the world of Visa. But it is very different products, right? I mean, we, we did talking about not uh, what happens in a, in a grocery shop or at a convenience shop, but, uh, you know, it's all about transaction, uh, you know, wiping out your cart there. So uh, what was the big difference between Visa and Coke, the approach to sponsorship and activation here? There are more similarities than, than differences when it comes to the sponsorships because the role that the sponsorships had at, for Visa have had for Visa for, for decades has always been to you know, uh, offer value, create value to offer to clients. Instead of retailers, they are banks mm -hmm. uh, and, and build relevance and, and love for the brand. So in that sense, it was very similar to, to the work that I did for Coca-Cola. Uh, luckily we had, no, they had an incredible product team and brand teams and, and I learned from them about the products and how people uh, relate and, 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 and use payments. And I brought my experience uh, from, from the sponsorship and communication side. The job that I had at Visa when I joined them was to manage you know, the communications and the sponsorships. And I, I, they were merging two teams at a time. I, I did this work. I reorganized the work. And those were the years. I joined Visa in, in early 2012. Mm. And that was the beginning of the preparation for um, the Confeder FIFA Confederations Cup in 2013, FIFA World Cup 2014, and the Olympic Games, all in Brazil. So having a Brazilian yep. doing the job had an extra Makes sense. You know, value for them and, and made things a, a little bit easier when it came to understanding and working with the organizers in Brazil. Yeah. And where were you based at that time? So you spent time? I was in, I was in, uh, in the Bay Area. Uh, Visa today, Visa is in San Francisco. Uh, yeah. At that time, they still have a large office, uh, you know, 20 minutes south of San Francisco in a place called Foster City. And I, I was based in Foster City. Right. But I mean, so, like you said, because you're working on the 2014 World Cup and 16 Olympics, uh, I'm assuming you spent quite a bit of time back home too, right? In Brazil. Oh, yeah. That was a, that was a treat. I mean, I was... Yeah. I was going to Brazil for work uh, probably you know, four or five times a year, mm. uh, and it was it was uh, you know it was great because first I knew most of the people that were part of the organizing committees for the FIFA World Cup and the Olympics. So I was working with friends. I was representing a you know a global brand, and uh, Visa had a great team in Brazil, uh, which made things even better to to you know to get the work done. Yeah. Well, I have plenty of fond memories of the World Cup, uh, <clears throat> uh, and, and I won't go there. But uh, you know, besides, you really want to talk about that? <laughs> well, we we wanted. Let's talk about that last game, and we don't talk about the game before that. Uh, yes. and I, I was there, and I had a great time. It, I was in Rio, uh, you know, on the beach and so on, and. Um, so yeah, you know, I, I I never made it there for the Olympics, unfortunately, but uh, it was uh, it was a fantastic event. Uh, but what was interesting is that again, you know, I went I've been to every every football World Cup since 1994, so I've really been you know around the world watching the watching the events, watching Germany. Uh, I was surprised, and I was first initially in Sao Paulo uh, before I went to Rio. Then the 
actually somewhat lack of atmosphere during the event. You know, and I, again, I, and, and you would think, you know, when you think of Brazil, of course, in football, you know, everyone sees the pictures of the colors. But it, there was very little atmosphere in Sao Paulo, in my feeling. Maybe it's just because the city is so large and so everything kind of gets, you know, spread around. But what was your feeling there? Um, did you sense that as well, that there was something missing or – <laughs> yeah. So, so Sao Paulo, any any event in Sao Paulo can can be hidden in in, in the mass of the city because right. it's so big and there's so much going on every day. Of course, the, the World Cup is a big event, but it's the equivalent of a um, couple of years ago the Super Bowl was in in, in New York, mm. right? And you walk and you walk in Manhattan and you see absolutely nothing about the Super Bowl that is happening right. in that afternoon. So it's, it's the same thing. Okay. Uh, but but I don't think Sao Paulo was a good representation of the spirit of the FIFA World Cup. You know, I'm from Sao Paulo, so I can I'm comfortable with speaking about that. But if you <laughs> if you were in Rio or if you were in any of the other host cities, the, that was the only thing that people were talking about and thinking about uh, right. during that month, and right. it was it was a very different spirit. Yeah, no, no, I agree. Rio was very different, I, and I love, of course, being there on the on the Copacabana. So, uh, but I, it, so, and that's unfortunately we started in Sao Paulo, and I'm thinking, where's the World Cup? <laughs> you know, and of course, there's some safety issues there, right? So people were were saying, don't, don't let's go to the the outdoor event, and so on. You know, so it was it was an it was an interesting uh, you know initial experience there, that's for sure. Um, now. Again, coming back to to Visa and and you know I've seen some charts before uh, when it comes to Mastercard and Visa. You know, obviously initially you know Mastercard was the the, the World Cup owner and uh, and Visa was uh, the Olympic brand. Um, and I've seen these charts where you know these these revenues just go up like crazy, linking always to these two major events. Right, every two years it kind of rolls rolls over. Um, now now of course Visa is sort of you know dominating and, and has most of the big ones. So. Uh, but you know, is it really that measurable that these huge events drive these huge spikes? You know, and 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 is it you know how do you guys do make sure that that happens? Right, um, that people are truly using Visa. You know, just just give us some examples. You know, what is it really what's happening inside the company? Yeah, no, absolutely, and and that's the reason they have been involved with the events for you know, for so long. So uh, Visa has been a sponsor of the Olympic Games since 1988 mm. and has been a sponsor of the FIFA World Cup uh, since uh, South Africa in 2010. Yeah. And, you know, it is it is measurable. It is, uh, you know, and don't forget, Visa is a, a payments company, a technology company. Uh, they have in a lot of people um, – uh, from from the banking for banking background, so they really care about ROIs and if the campaigns are working or not. Mm. So I think that what they do, which is they do exceptionally well, and I think they do better than any other any other company in this segment, mm. is uh, they they are very focused on 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 their on their customers. So developing work that works for their customers and their customers uh, in the past were basically the banks, right. but today Visa has relationships with all sorts of companies, with airlines, with hotels, um, with uh, retailers. With you know, if you're paying something, you have a reason to have a relationship with Visa, right. and and they and they develop work that works for all this all these different constituents uh, in the in the customer side, and because of that, you see 
uh, every big event, you see customers motivated to issue more cards. You see consumers, because of the promotions and the consumer activities, consumers motivated to use their cards more often. And, and, and the payments business works primarily on you know, how many cards you have in the market. Also, market share for cards is a big deal. Right. And uh, how often people are using their cards because they make money on the transactions, right? So they're, you know, every every time that money flows in the pipelines, they make money. So it's very important. And, and in you, me, and everybody else, we have a bunch of cards in our wallets. And it's important that the, your, your Visa card is the first card that you pick when you're shopping. Yeah. And, um, and, and, and the, the events help them big time the, the Olympics, the FIFA World Cup, uh, the you know, the NFL, all the work they do with the, the you know Major League Baseball, with the teams of Major League Baseball, with the teams of the NBA, with the so they have a lot of different sponsorships, athletes that allow them to 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 be the preferred card, and that's why they have such a such a, a, a important position in the market. Mm-hmm. No, no, I, and I, I I agree. I do think that uh, um, around those uh, times when these big events coming up, I do check that uh, my visa is still you know running and or in the past <laughs> if I didn't have one, um, you know. So I, I was a bit loyal to Mastercard, and again, it and it had something to do with the World Cup, right? Because for years, Mastercard was the World Cup brand, right? Versus uh, Visa, obviously coming in later. Now there was also you know I mean, it's fairly well documented this big drama, you know, when the, when a switch happened. Uh, I think it was that was before your time, right? Uh, you were not at Visa at that time, right? Or I Correct. can't remember Correct. the years exactly now uh, when all this sort of blew up there. Yes, so, it happened. Uh, I think that they, the switch happened after uh, Germany. So yeah, that's uh, right. 2006 and seven and eight. I think that those were the years where the, the switch was, they started and then it stopped it. And then there was the, Oh, the lawsuit and, and everything. I, when I joined the company, was already it was that already was uh, water under the bridge. Yes. Mm, yeah. Good. Good. Yeah, yeah. That that was a bit of a mess for sure, or at least didn't look like it was very well handled uh, by all by all parties involved. Right. Now let's talk a little bit about the Federation boys, right? I mean, you are again, you're the brand man. You bring in the money, um, and therefore you would assume you're getting reasonably well wined and dined there. Um, how is that relationship? You know, are are you uh, you know you telling them sort of really here's what I need and their jump or you know talk about it. You know, uh, I've never been in your position. I've always on the other side. <laughs> well, uh, it's it's about it's about relationships and about what value do you bring to the work that they need to do. Mm. It's it's not about the money. And uh, and if you look yeah, at the I don't think anyone ever says oh, that part. <laughs> yeah, no, no. The reason the reason I'm saying this is if you look at the revenues of the vast majority of rights holders, most of their money comes from TV. That's right. Fair. So if you go to the IOC, it's, you know, I think I believe it's 77 percent comes from TV. Um, if you go to, to FIFA, it's uh, over 50 percent that comes from TV. So they they really source most of their income, their revenues from from broadcasters, sponsors. Although, although we're no, we I say, I say we, but sponsors are very visible because the marketing comes from the sponsors. Right. Sponsors are not really as important as broadcasters. So the attention is proportional to who's bringing who's bringing more to the to the organization. Mm-hmm. Having said that, the rights holders they have 
a lot of respect for the brands that help them accomplish their mission. And the mission can be promote the event, come up with new ideas, push them to be innovative, um, support some strategic objectives. And if you're doing all of that, you can have a lot of influence in what they do because you you are truly seen as a partner. You, you are a partner, you pay a lot of money, of mm -hmm. course, but your influence comes a lot more from what you're capable to do with ideas and execution than with your money. They can get money, you know, organizations, and I know it's very tough to sell sponsorships, and a lot of organizations struggle to find sponsors, but to a certain level of rights holders, like the IFC, like FIFA, like UEFA, like the NFL, there is no lack of money. They can get money any day. They have people lining up to sponsor them. And it is it is not about the money. So the money is a price of entry, but achieving and accomplishing things working with them comes from your ability to, 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 to help them and to bring ideas and to, to deliver and to get that message and that event and, and spread in you know, hundreds of thousands of shops around the world. So this is what makes a big difference. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, uh, let, let's uh, jump a bit ahead here again. And now you're back in Coca-Cola, interesting enough, right? Uh, maybe you're missing those guys. Um, so around 2016, I guess, after you handed over uh, the, the Olympics and the World Cup there in Brazil for, for Visa, you're, you're back in, in Coke. Um, and maybe just if you know, was it just uh, they came back and said, "Hey, Ricardo, we really need you back," uh, um, or how did that sort of transition? Before I go into a couple of questions there. Oh yeah, so it, it was uh, Visa had a reorganization, and they at some point the CEO that at Visa at that time he decided to move a lot of the efforts from consumers to customers, and so the B two B space got all the attention and all the resources and all the people. And that was a strategic decision for the company. I was responsible for the consumer side mm. and, and my side uh, didn't have the resources, didn't have, and they offered me a different job. Uh, at that time, I was pretty convinced that my job was to work with sports and I wouldn't give up my, um, my, uh, my, my choice for any company. So, they offered me a job that was not related to that, right. that I didn't think was right for my career. And we decided to, to part as friends. So I left Visa um, in February of 2016. So I didn't do the Olympics in Brazil with Visa. Oh, right. um, now, luckily, for whatever reason, you know, I, you know, I was talking to a lot of different people. And you know, a, you know, a friend of mine from Coke called me and said, you have to come back. There is a job here waiting for you, uh, and and I, I returned to the company a few months later and uh, to to manage the team that I was once part of, yeah. and awesome. and it was and it was a uh, it was the best decision that I I, I made and it was a uh, was a lot of fun to be back and just to give an idea a lot of people when when they when they saw my name they said where have you been because they, they didn't realize i left the company uh, it's, been, it's been five <laughs> you were, years you were hiding and some of them didn't even realize that so it was it was it was a it was like coming coming back coming home, home. yeah yes. nice nice back to atlanta now again let's talk about you know you're the head of global sponsorship vp and uh, and that's of course 
you know, what potentially one of the most powerful roles in the world of sports, uh, A, because of the budgets you're controlling, and of course, uh, everyone, you know, wants a little slice of that. And so let's, uh, let's talk about not about the big boys here, which, as you said, you know, they have maybe choices and, and, uh, but there are plenty of others who, you know, who do need those sponsorship dollars and, and they would come and pitch to you and guys like me, uh, knock on your door and say, Hey, I got this great idea. Um, how does it work? I mean, first of all, I know you, your role was was global, so you, you there are certain things you might not even look at, and you you'll push it down to the local levels. But uh, if it is a global property, which would have potentially a global impact, how do you figure out which of let's say the hundreds of sports in the world which exist, which could be relevant, uh, which one you go for, and how do you slice and dice that marketing budget? You know, where do you even start? Yeah, so the, the one of the first things that I did was to establish a function in my team to think about uh, strategy and sponsorship intelligence. Mm. And the role that I created, so there are a couple of people working in that function, and their jobs was to figure out what were the investments that would make more sense for us, developing tools and to measure pre-investment, post-investment, and all the, the intelligence and information that we needed to make better decisions. Right. You have to have in mind that when you work for a, a company at the size of, of, of Coca-Cola or a global company, a lot of the work, as I said before, it happens locally. So the role of the center is to prepare people in all parts of the world to make better decisions when it comes to sponsorships. Right. So there are things related to governance, uh, process, intelligence, tools that if put in place will benefit the company in the long term, the decisions are going to be better, the investments are going to be better. So I don't need to understand or I didn't need to understand what was the best uh, cricket team in India to just just pick a different country, right? Yeah. The best uh, uh, the best sport in Australia to invest because there are a lot of people in Australia that knew that. Right. But I, I offer them uh, tools and information for them to evaluate how to make better decisions. And, and, and that was my contribution and the contribution of my team to the global investments. Of course, there are global properties that we were making decisions ourselves and we were evaluating and assigning contracts ourselves. But in number of properties, the vast majority happens uh, was happening uh, locally. Right. Uh, so there was a, it was a mix of, of, of both things. But, but as in any other company, it is very difficult to find out who you have to talk to. So if, 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 you, if you're trying to reach out to any global company, the, the biggest challenge for someone that is selling or representing a property is to figure out who's the person that can say yes mm. or who can say no. And because you know, by, in, by principle, I have always opted to talk to everyone. So I was I was seeing, you know, twenty five proposals per week, and I did it right. for you no know, for four years. Right. And every week people are reaching out, and I you know I'm replying on LinkedIn and and email and I'm scheduling meetings. So I, I'm investing a lot of time to figure out what's happening in the market because this is how you come to you know you have to see a, a thousand proposals to figure out one that may work for you. Right. And again, this is sort of the question. I mean, obviously, Coke is so well known for very specific, um, you know, properties. Whether it's the Olympics, World Cup, etc. Uh, you know, how do you decide 
which will add value on top of these huge me mega brands which you have, which, which of course only happen every few years. So you do need these more, you know, I guess yearly activities. Uh, I'm not sure Coke ever bit, was ever in Formula One as an example. Or so, how do you pick that? You know, what's the sort of again? Is it thinking global, as in being, you know, what is the biggest impact would be having again globally, or you look at particular blocks of regions? Uh, you know, how does that work? No, you, you, you don't start with the property. You start with the problem, the, the okay. business problem that you have. All right. So some pro some problems, they require global solutions. Mm. Some other problems require regional solutions or, 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 or local solutions. Yeah. So if you understand the problem that you have in the business, then sponsorships is one of the options to solve that problem. So the contribution that we were giving to the company was understanding the, pro the problems of each brand, Makes each sense. country, and then helping them to figure out if there was a solution in sports or entertainment for that specific problem. Got and it. then because we were talking to so many people in the market, that's the privilege of working for a big company. Everybody wants to talk to you. Yeah. Then you can say, okay, so if you are in Spain and you have a problem with young consumers mm. that uh, are not drinking as much as uh, we expect them to drink, then you should do that kind of project and these are the three people that you should talk to so that's that's how we led to but just going back to to to, to formula one because coke had an involvement with formula one with lotus uh, maybe 10 years ago mm. and uh two three years ago i signed a contract a central contract with mclaren okay. and coca-cola continues to work with mclaren has been a very very a good relationship with them McLaren is a great team, has done incredibly well in the last you know, uh, three years, and uh, it, yeah. it worked really well for, 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 the, for the purpose that was uh, led to this contract. So That's understanding the, the problem is the, is the central, like central that. challenge. Yeah, that, that makes and that makes complete sense. Now, here is the, of course the the challenge with it: the, the the people like me who are pitching at you, we don't know your problem necessarily. So, how much do you share that with people saying, "Look, guys, here's my problem. Help me fix it." You have those conversations, or it's more like, "Okay, I know the problem. Am I going to find the right thing?" You know, how does it work? Uh, there, are two, there are different approaches to that. So, I, I, there are a lot of information, public information about any company today that allows. Um, uh, people representing properties to be informed about the problem. So if you take if you take the filings of any company, um, you know the formal filing they have to do every year, uh, and, and there are all the all the challenges and the watch out for the company mm. uh, publicly stated there. So if you look at this document, which is public, you you understand exactly what the company is trying to do, and that works for any company. If you yeah. if you want to sell yeah. something yeah. to Heineken, their filings have all the challenges that they have. Mm -hmm. So uh, so that is a good start, even before you engage with the company. Yeah. Uh, it's it's unlikely that we are going to go to someone and say we have this problem, help us fix it. Mm -hmm. Usually we talk to people; they are. They may be more or less aware of the problems. They they pitch their their property, and we may say, okay, that part of the pitch may work for that problem that we have in you know in, in country X. So all of that is us uh, evaluating and, and connecting problem with 
uh, properties. Nice one. I like that. Yeah, I hope my fellow sports marketing executives are listening very careful here. I think that's it's great advice um, to start looking at the challenges, you know, whether they're publicly known or I guess finding out and asking those questions when you are with executives like yourself. Uh, I think is is the key, rather than just pitching what we think is the is the the new great thing there. Uh, very nice, very nice. Um, now. Again, just a couple of ones I'd love to touch on. One is game esports and and gaming, right? Which obviously came up, uh, you know, really is very big over the last few years. And you know, Coca Cola is always in everything, right? You, you guys are from you know an American Idol to you name it. So, um, you know, how do you spread that? Do, were you involved in any of those uh, comp- uh, you know sort of uh, new involvements outside of the world of sports? Um, maybe you have a couple of examples there. Yes, yes. Uh, so uh, part of the job of my team was to deal with uh, global entertainment and global entertainment for for us uh, was a combination of uh, film, so movies, mm-hmm. music and gaming. Right. And the way the way that um, the opportunities at gaming, they are very diverse yeah. and there is a big you know, fear of missing out in gaming. So every a lot of companies are putting money uh, throwing money at gaming, not knowing exactly what they need to do, right. and it's it's very chaotic and disorganized. <laughs> uh, so when you when you step back and you look at the world of uh, gaming, more than esports, esports is a subset of gaming. Yeah. When you look at gaming, there are a few different things that gaming can do for brands. So the first one is uh, um, uh, as a distribution channel, providing visibility. Yes. There is a large number of people. Uh, watching gaming mm-hmm. and and watching people playing gaming, discussing yep. games. So Twitch, big channel. So if you look at gaming as media, there is a huge opportunity there. Agree. Uh, the se- the second one is um, uh, when to 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 build credibility with the core uh, gamer. Mm-hmm. And in order to do this, uh, working with publishers. So you can either uh, be integrated in yep. games. Yep. Um, so like you know, the, the EA FIFA is an example, or you can sponsor tournaments, um, or you can sponsor teams, and, and Coca-Cola does all of that. Right. So if you, want, if you want to build credibility and authenticity with a core audience for games, this is another, there's a second path. Mm. And, and the third one, is is if you if you're willing to connect if you want to connect to the very niche consumer that are the hardcore gamers then you always have the option of working with influencers in the yeah. gaming space which is another another so big brands they do all of that depending on where you are you can do a b or c mm. um, today companies are making decisions on what to do not knowing exactly what each of these three paths can deliver to them yeah, and, and I agree. I mean, we have a lot of those conversations. I would say, again, a couple of years ago, it started. This is pre-COVID. Um, that when we would go to brands and we, you know, we'd, we'd start on, let's say, sports pitch, they go, what, what do you have in esports or what do you have in gaming, right? Um, probably most of them would always say esports first because they, many people don't even understand the difference. Uh, um, but uh, yeah, so that, that has been a massive move. Now, how early has been Coca Cola in it, uh, you know, when you were there over the last several years? Um, and how much, you know, when did that sort of shift started to really dramatically start to show up? Is it really that early, just the last few years, or you or Coca been in there for much longer? Oh no, I I have done a campaign with uh, EA for the FIFA game mm-hmm. 
for the 2002 FIFA World Cup. Oh wow! Okay. So the, the partnership with EA at least has been has been there for no, for a very long time. Of yeah, course, and, and, e, and EA is the FIFA game. Yeah, so that's a, that's an obvious one. But if you go outside of that, you know, if you talk more, let's say, other games, the you know the mm -hmm. uh, the, the League of Legends and you know and PUBGs and you name it. Um, you know, when did you guys or when did Coke started to uh, you know start looking at that these sort of other genres outside of the you know the football one, which would be very very obvious. Yeah, it's probably uh, here here in the United States. So in Asia, it probably started in I would say 2007, eight. No, Korea has always been a market right. very advanced in gaming. Yes. Uh, then later China. Uh, so Asia has always been ahead of of the you know, Western Europe and North America. Okay. Uh, and but here in in North America, if you go back to the 2011-12, there were a lot of activity already in gaming, but you know different formats. At the time, you had uh, you know, games on on websites, uh, and so it, it was just different. But that was gaming in 2011. Yep. It was not gaming as we know, know ten years later today. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, again, maybe during your you know last couple of years there at Coke, what was one of the big ones? Where you did you do a big drop into Fortnite, or, or you have a Coke bottle flying around with some other games? You know, tell me, tell, <laughs> give me give me a nice one here. Well, one of the things that that. Um, we also be are careful when you work for brands. Is there are there are kinds of games that are not uh, are off off limits for right. you know, for brands. Yep. So anything that is you no know, first person shooter, yep. it's not something that interests most a lot of brands. Mm. Um, uh, but uh, I think that one of the the the, the most you now fun, interesting, different things that I was involved in the gaming space was uh, in 2017. When we were preparing for the FIFA World Cup, uh, we did work with EA for the, the launch of the of the FIFA game at the time. I think it came. This one came out in 2017, and uh, at that time they had just launched. They I think they had launched a year before the career mode. When you play, you have to control the career of Alex Hunter, this you no know, mm -hmm. this imaginary player. So in the 2017 game. Uh, Coke work. We worked with EA, and we created this idea of Coca-Cola was signing a sponsorship with the virtual player. Okay. And in that, in that, in, during the game, he signed the contract. He shot a commercial, which, which brings us back, bring brings us back to the beginning of our conversation. It was the same commercial that Zico shot in Brazil nice. in 1982. Nice. And and so it's a good it's a good uh, uh, circle here, going back to the beginning of of times. And it was it was a, it was a great thing. It was different. It was interesting, and uh, I think it was a very very unique uh, activation that positioned the brand in a very credible way in within the gaming uh, space. Hmm. And, and that's again, it, it really you know the, the word you just used, credibility. It's is what it's all about, right? Whether it is the world of sports or the world of uh, of gaming, of course, it is being authentic um, as a brand, right? Um, that's the only way it works, right? I'm, I'm sure you would have your thought on that. Yeah, I mean, I think people are very busy trying to figure out all all these fake messages that brands are 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 sending their way, uh, and there are so many every day. So when you people can smell uh, fake or you no know, pretend 
from very far. And, and brands are great at being, you know, uh, uh, fake in what they say. Uh, mm. It's like this idea of you know, every every brand has a purpose of everybody's trying to save the world. So nobody understands <laughs> why, where we are, where we are today, right? So, uh, so either everybody's faking or everybody's failing. Uh, but so authenticity is 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 not only necessary, but it's fundamental for you to cut across this skepticism of, of consumers today mm-hmm. and and being recognized, being remembered, being appreciated, which drives consumption of products. Yeah. And, and, and I'm going to go there for a minute now before we then move to Sport by Fort, uh, which, I, by the way, I love. It's a great, great name of the company here. <laughs> um, and, uh, and we'll t- touch on it in a minute here. Now, it. I'm a Coca-Cola man as well. Uh, I know I will grab the red bottle anytime before I grab blue. Um, and I actually wanted to talk a bit about Pepsi uh, and, and just to compare some uh, some there. But before we go there, uh, you know, at the end of the day, we know it's not the world healthiest product, um, you know, uh, no matter which version you drink. There. Now, how does that work? You know, with the messaging, especially when it comes to sports, right? Um, was there ever in your mind a conflict? Um, or how do you how do you on your own sort of or, or as a company deal with that? Yeah, I mean this is a this is a constant uh, conversation, uh, and it's uh, you know there's a lot of education work that the company needs to do because at the end of the day, you know, and I'm I'm, I'm no longer work for Coke as you know, yes, so I'm, yes. I'm I'm saying this as uh, because I do believe in that. It's all about uh, uh, balance and moderation and what 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 do you drink, when do you drink? So you know I. I drink probably four or five cans of Coke Zero per day. Mm. I don't want to get sugar. So because I don't want to get sugar, I drink Coke Zero. There's no sugar. Right. So that's that's my Coca-Cola. For other people, they like sugar and they have Coca-Cola with sugar. So, But the company has done a lot of work over the years to, in, in two areas. Mm. Uh, and I think this is, a, this is really a topic that they can speak much better than I can now. But... Uh, diversification of of products. So, if you want to drink from from coconut water to milk to soft drinks to juices to teas, they offer that to you. So, um, when you think about the Coca Cola company, you should think about every product and not only one right. kind of one brand. Right, right. One and the other one is just you know for people that are looking for moderation, they offer a lot of variety in size of packaging. So you don't need to buy. A two-liter bottle, you can buy a small can. So all of that is to help people uh, make better decisions in how much and what they drink. So, and but when it comes to sponsorships, I, I, I have seen Coca-Cola being welcomed a lot more than being criticized. And you know, sugar has always been a, pro- a problem and has been addressed. The the biggest area of concern for sport today is sustainability. And sustainability has a lot of different variants, issues that needs to be addressed from consumption of water to quality of the air to plastic. And I think that, uh, you know, if you forget Coca-Cola for a minute, every sponsor has a role to play when it comes to sustainability in sports. And every sponsor needs to be equipped to help rights holders to run more sustainable events. And this has been... A big part, and it's going to continue to be a big part of everybody that works with sponsorships in the future, because this is an important part of life today. 
Yeah, no, I totally agree. Uh, now let's talk about the guys in blue for a minute here. Um, you know, and, and again, I still want to wear you, for you to wear your coke hat for a minute here. Um, you know, it's obviously you know it's a, as big of a rivalry in the world as Mastercard and Visa and you know Pepsi and Coke and. Uh, you know, Pepsi for I would I recall would have said for years or for many for decades we're we sort of stayed a bit outside of football and, and even outside of sports in some in most markets right there were more music focus in other areas and then eventually decided look we, we can't just leave that up to Coke alone um, and they started going into after athletes and you know and creating their 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 teams etc. You know how was that relationship? You know you know were you really competing or you were just so focused on your own stuff that it really didn't matter what they were what the other side was doing first of all i have i have a lot of respect for them i have friends that work there i mean when i was working for visa uh visa and pepsi they are both sponsors of the nfl so i worked with them i had meetings with them mm. and you know they do they do great in what they do i think they you know the work that they do for the champions league is very good um the work that they do here in the states with the nfl it's very good uh, they do you know the gatorade is a, it's a big brand in yep. sports so I think, first of all, you have to respect the work that the guys do because Absolutely. they are really good in, 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 in sports marketing. Uh, you know, the, the market of beverages is so big and so diverse that you really don't think a lot about any particular competitor. Of course, you want to win, you want to, to be preferred, you want to sell more. But, you know, I think the industry is at the point of, of professionalism that – Everybody has a you know, high level of respect and everybody is trying to do their own things. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you do better than the others, sometimes you don't. And uh, luckily I've been in, with companies that have, had, that have had great portfolios of partnerships that allow me to do a lot of good work. But you know, when I look around and I see the work that the Champions League that Pepsi is doing, I, you know, I, 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 I think it's very good and I, I congratulate them for that. Mm -hmm. um, but there is, there is enough for everyone to, to be entertained with and, and to entertain their customers and, and consumers. Good point. All right, let's go into sport by Fort Consulting. You know, uh, it's and it's so fresh. Of course, I think uh, I've heard you on another podcast recently, where I think you had Louis. It was like your your first week, maybe even uh, in it. Uh, and, and now we're sort of a month or two into it. Uh, you know, it, you know. Tell us first of all, what is it really? Give, give us a bit the, your big vision, mission, your dream um, by coming out of you know now twenty five year career in in, in in what we just talked about. Um, and what you're seeing you want to do now as an entrepreneur. It is the Sports Entrepreneurs Podcast at the end of the day. So let's talk about the mm -hmm. entrepreneur side here. Yeah, this is, a very, this is a very new experience for me. I mean, I've been, you know, two months since I left uh, Coca-Cola. And I know I have, I, I will always uh, love the company, the people. I had so much respect for everybody at Coca-Cola. But it got to a point in my, in my career that I don't think that any company could fulfill the needs that I had. Mm -hmm. I have done, I have worked with most of the rights holders. I have done a lot of events, a lot of different things. I was very fortunate to, to be with companies that allow me to do a lot of work. And it, it was a very difficult decision to leave. But I, at the same time, I think that everything that I learned working for all these companies can help uh, me to have different experiences helping other companies. Mm -hmm. And, you know, not every company, even very big and rich companies, they don't, 
necessarily have the experience, the capabilities, the history of you know, Visa and, and, and Coca-Cola in sponsorships. Yeah. So they, my assumption is there are a lot of people that need help, mm-hmm. that need to think about how they can use sponsorships to grow their business. And that's my premise. That, right. So if, if, if I can help other companies in, in, in different segments of the market that allow me to learn different things and, and meet different people, that's that's going to be, uh, you know, uh, it will be a, a justifying my decision and I'll be very happy if I can do this. Uh, luckily, since I left Coke, I've been talking to a lot of people. I'm, 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 I'm running, you know, five different projects now, very different kinds of projects. And, you know, some of the things are, are things that I would never be able to be exposed to if I was working for any company. Right. So that's just reassuring that the decision was was the right one. But you know, I was a I was I think I was a very competent executive. I may be a big failure as a entrepreneur. And time will tell. I don't know. <laughs> that, that's, I, I, it, it's a different world for sure. Uh, it takes a different type of skin, I think. Uh, uh, and you know, and, and I think Obviously, you coming out of uh, an amazing career with great, amazing reputation on the back of it. So, um, you know, therefore, I'm, I'm certain you will do well. I have no doubt about it. Um, and that's obviously why we're talking here as well to to kind of expose you to to the to the rest of the world in a different way, hopefully uh, as well. And people hearing you know your background and 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 what amazing things you've done. So, can you talk a little bit about any of those five things? Uh, hopefully, not all of them are completely top secret and you can't say anything uh, any one of them you can share a little bit more what you're doing yeah sure sure i i without telling who the clients are yeah. because i'm not i'm not authorized to do this sure. but i i'm working with um uh you know existing and future sponsors of of global events okay so these are these are people that either are interested to think about how they can evolve their partnerships mm-hmm. or whether or not they should be partnering with these global events. Got it. So that's that's very close to what I was doing at Coca-Cola. Yeah. So that's very familiar, very comfortable doing this. I learn about new industries, but the work is what I it's it's my it's my core. Right. Yes. So that's mm-hmm. one part of work. There 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 are there are other projects which are related to to startups, mm-hmm. different sport tech startups right. that um uh, that they need to understand how brands companies sponsors think so they invited me to either be advisor or board so i'm doing this for a couple of of, of companies too um, then there is another f- completely different kind of work which is um, uh, creating a marketing plan for uh, for a player for a footballer right. and how you treat a career of a player of a footballer as a brand. So what mm. all the steps that you need nice. to take to, to do this. Uh, so and you see, and and then there is a project related to you know education, developing a curriculum for sponsorships for for a higher education. So these are all things that are. No, most of them are very different to what I was doing, mm-hmm. uh, but allow me to take my experience and 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 share with the different group of people, different industries. Um, so this is this is really uh, interesting and, 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 and cool. I'm working with uh, investors and club owners that want to buy or sell football clubs. Mm-hmm. So this is the kind of thing that, you know, it's, it's a different challenge. 
but allows me to to look back to what I've done and say, well, I, I can help you either find the right people or you know find the right resources or structure the thinking for you, um, and that's that's a lot of fun. Yeah, well, it, it sounds very diverse too. I love it. Uh, you know, from sports tech to uh, play, you know, working with a footballer, um, that that is cool. And, and that this is sort of how my my twenty five years look like. You know, there is always so many different facets of our industry, um, and I like doing that too. I like to you know dip my toes into different things. Um, so uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm pretty sure you're gonna have a lot of fun with it. I'd love to uh, hear one day who is that footballer. Uh, that sounds like a cool project. Uh, is he Brazilian by any chance, or I, can, I cannot talk <laughs> about, it. Talk about yeah. it? Okay, I have, a, I have a confidentiality agreement. Sorry, fair enough. <laughs> no, no, fair enough. Uh, you know, I can't ask. Um, now, what left to you know for the last maybe a few minutes here? Uh, talk about, of course, what's happening in again uh, globally in a big way, and it's just be it's beyond gaming as well. It's really, of course, NFT, um, and I do see you know the the crypto world is is coming big time now into sports. You see you know sponsorship announcement all over the place. I think uh, recently you had uh, Crypto.com announcing a deal with Aston Martin. You know a buddy there. Um, and uh, you know, and and I've having various conversations with other groups, um, looking at it, and and they of course either are coming in, you know, purely from a sponsorship point of view, i.e., you know, this looking for that brand exposure that uh, sports gives them, or of course then how to integrate it and NFTs and what the NBA have done with with Dapper and etc. is of course just all over the place. So I'm sure somewhere in all the things you're doing this would be on would have come on your radar and just love to hear your thoughts where do you see the connection there between brands nfts and if you take something like something like coke again i mean you know you it would have iconic imagery and iconic um you know elements which you could turn into an nft potentially right uh what's your thought on that that particular world yeah I, I, yeah that that's possible i mean companies with um uh, long, interesting uh, histories yes. uh, like the Coca-Cola Company will always be um, will be can be in the game of content because yeah. at the end of the day, you know NFTs are a different format for distributing content, right. and there you no know, as technologies evolves and allows to do different things with different formats. Uh, that will be the next the next iteration of how do you distribute content in a way that's unique it's different and allows the content owners to monetize what they have what they produce who they are mm. uh, and creating new forms of revenues for leagues players uh, clubs uh, you name it uh, i i think you know if you think about the things that people care about in sports and entertainment first uh this is where the big game is brands you know um, yeah, some brands are more interesting than others. Not every brand can can create uh, content and NFTs in the NFT format that would attract people to spend money on it. Uh, you know, um, Coca Cola is one of the few brands that, that would do it, that could do it. Yeah. Um, but but in general, I think that the interest of most people lies with you know, their passions for sports and entertainment. No, no. So have you have you done any work in this space yet, or you looked at it, or you've had some conversations with any of these of the crypto guys here? Or I, I yes, yes, I, I have. I have had conversations with people involved with it, but with the purpose for me is more to learn uh, what people that are dealing with this are are doing, are thinking, and and just to be more educated in in, in 
in, in no, not in NFT specifically, but if you just take you know, you know cryptocurrencies, blockchain, NFTs, mm. all of that, these are things which are alien if you work for a beverage company. Yeah. And uh, and I, I I'm interested to learn about it. So I've been talking to people that are in this market for just out of curiosity. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think I think we will see some really unique things coming out there. You know, there's a bunch of games coming which we're using blockchain technology, right? They're called the the DeFi games and things like that. And uh, and again, NFT sort of is all part of that little mix of how you can bring in uh, virtual items, virtual goods again, bring the the gamers even deeper into it, right? So you're not just the consumer who always pays for everything. There's ways to earn um, things back, and and of course, you know, potentially even make money there. And so, so I, I would say there's a huge shift going on there, and and gaming for sure will will only get bigger. I have no doubt that uh, it will take its uh, rightful place there. Uh, in the global world of marketing um, and for brands to use and leverage. So uh, I probably have more conversation there right now than in traditional sports, interesting enough. So, uh, and that maybe, you know, has something to do with COVID, of course, you know, putting a real block on, on sports in the general sense. But it seems to be you are, you are, you are nicely involved in a, in a whole, you know, interesting group of things, some education there, you know, buying and selling football clubs, maybe. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> Ricardo, it, it, you know, I wish you all the best there. Uh, like I said, it looks like you have your hand full. Um, is it currently just yourself or you have a little team around you already? Or how do I visualize the company? Yeah, for it depending on the project, I'm bringing people to work with me. I I don't have any employees, okay. uh, and I I'm bringing different people. Sometimes I worked with um, you know university students. Sometimes I work with more experienced people. So depending on the project, um, I bring the right people to to help me with. Awesome, awesome. Oh well, well you know we, you know we'll maybe one day we'll be working on something fun together here in Asia. That could be fun. Uh, I know you you close friends with Michael and Payne as well there, and you guys have done some good stuff together over the years. So I'm sure there'll be more collaboration going on with with folks like that. So I uh, hope so. Yeah. Um, look, this was good fun. We I think we had a good good solid hour, a little more actually here. I think uh, really going through in in detail about your career, but also really learning um, how these things work. And and I. I like a couple of your you have some really nice nuggets there for people to learn um, how those big groups think and how they operate. And, and like you said, at the end of the day, I think every brand should be thinking along the similar lines, right? What are your problems and how you use, you know, particular, whether it's sports or entertainment or other genres, how you fix that. So uh, I really like that. So thank you for your time there. Um, have a good evening in Atlanta. And uh, hopefully we'll catch you somewhere again around the world soon once we're all allowed to travel a bit. I hope so. Thanks for the opportunity again, Marcus. Uh, always a pleasure to talk to you. Definitely. Enjoyed it. Talk to you soon. Okay. Cheers. Cheers. Bye-bye. The Sports Entrepreneurs by Marcus Lure Podcasts are a collection of interviews and stories. All content in this podcast is the copyright of Marcus Lure. Reproduction and distribution of the presentation without written permission of the owner is prohibited. All rights reserved.